Would you pray with me? Father, we come to the time of the service where we commit the, the reading of your word, the opening of your word to study and to, to reflect on. We ask that through your Holy Spirit you would open our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we would come this morning being blessed by your word in the sense that it ministers to each and every one of us where we are right now in our walk with you in such a way that we will be stronger for having been here, closer to you, and, and more what you want us to be. And uh, we ask, Lord, that not only would it, it minister this day, but, but thoughts and, 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 and parts of it would, would come up through the week that would reinforce again and again the reality of the truth of your word to us. We worship you. We thank you that we have your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and showing us what it is that you would have us be like, do, and, and the things that you would have us, just even the way you would want us to think. Uh, we bring this to you and ask for you to minister to us through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning we'll be sharing, uh, starting anyway, uh, in Matthew 22, verses 34 through uh, 40. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Uh, this typically titled in your Bible uh, something along the lines of the greatest commandment or the great commandment. And uh, this has to do with... Uh, Arguments that have been presented to Jesus, uh, starting with the you know the uh, the idea of, of of marriage, for instance, you know uh, who's going to be our our the Sadducees were thinking, you know if if you know is there marriage in heaven is basically what they were getting at, and Jesus said no, there's not, you know that that's not you know it's a, it's a whole new dynamic, it's a whole new world for us, and and trying to trip him up about various things in order to cause him to look bad or to cause the crowd to turn against him. And finally, the, the Pharisees uh, realized, you know, they're, they're going to go for it. And the reason for it was that every time he was asked a question, Jesus would come up with an answer that would basically silence them. They would look at this and say, well, gee, we hadn't thought of that. Uh, and, and, you know, we don't have an argument back to that. We can't debate that. Uh, gee, well, now what do we do? And it's kind of like... You know, be quiet. So the Sadducees, or the Pharisees, being the, the, the prideful men that they are and, and the idea of you know, most of the people even saw them as the, 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 the real scholars, if you will, the men who stand at the gate or stand on the temple steps and debate the word of God and all of this. And so they came up with this in verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And the idea of they gathered together, just that alone right there, means that they, they got into a group and said, okay, what are we going to ask him? They, they plotted this. They gathered together, and, and then they, they, it says, then one of them, whoever, however they decided who was going to be the appointed representative, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. And that's the first time I ever really saw that. One of them, a lawyer. No wonder, no, no. Um, 
One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And when he said all the law and the prophets, he meant everything that Moses had taught and everything from Elijah on all that the prophets had taught. And you go to the Ten Commandments. I know I've shared this before, but if you go to the Ten Commandments and you read them carefully, the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with loving the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, and all our strength. The rest of them, the other six, have to do with how we interact with each other. And so loving our neighbor as ourselves, you see. And so Jesus says the whole law rests on these ideas. This, this, this is a, a general guideline of, of to what, what it is to walk with God, to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then to take that love and treat your neighbor the same way as you would have yourself be treated. Keep, you know, that scripture was, you know, takes you back to, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, and in Deuteronomy chapter 6, again, you shall have another God before you, shall worship him with all your, your heart, your soul, your mind. And then the idea of teaching it to your children at all times of the day, which means, you know, from morning till night and in the middle of the day, it talks about sharing these, these things with your children. And then turning around and putting them on your, your doorpost, putting them on your gatepost putting them on, uh, uh, wrapped up around your head so that you can have access to them, around your wrist, whatever it takes so that the word of God will be close to you, not to receive as osmosis, <laughs> you know, like, oh, it's, you know, some holy thing is going to happen there, but it's available. It's there to read. It's there to look at and make it a part of your life. The idea to meditate on the word of God day and night was a part of that picture. Now, starting with that thought, I'm going to, to detour for a second. Well, probably more than that. What I, over the last few weeks, uh, having been putting this, uh, t the, the sermon really t together for last week, which was the love of the Lord your God with all your mind, the idea of, of, of putting your... You're, you know, we're not to be blank, we're not to be brainless, but with all our mind, with all our thinking. And that caused me to, to, to come up and read a number of articles. And one of the things was, how do I identify myself as far as uh, generally speaking? Now, and I realized for me, it's kind of a given simply because I'm the pastor of a church. And people in the community know me as Pastor Bob. In fact, when I'm invited to speak someplace, some people get nervous because they know Pastor Bob is one of those conservative Bible people that literally believe the Word of God is the spoken, God-breathed Word of God. And, and he may get off on a tangent there someplace. Uh, so... I realized my identity, but in generally speaking, uh, what is our identity in the sense of how the world sees me? And I was thinking even to myself about myself as to how I perceive my, my own identity. 
how much the world is spending on trying to direct my thoughts in that area. Think about this. How much the world is spending trying to direct the thoughts of people as to how they identify themselves. And I mean globally. Not just in the United States with our, our, our you know, advertising you know, media and all of that kind of stuff. But you realize what the, 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 the communist countries spend to make sure that their people are, are indoctrinated and, and identify themselves as this or that or whatever. So we're talking tremendous amount of energy, tremendous amount of money put out to cause people to say, this is who I am or I identify myself with this group, or with this thing, or with this product, or with whatever. And within our culture, the Western culture, even more so to identify ourselves in a particular way we look, how much we weigh, whether we have hair or don't have hair, and all sorts of things that we get into and look at and think about, even to the concern about the color of our hair. And, and uh, I was walking through the store just thinking about those things and looking at all the products that are in the, the well, this happened to be Kmart, uh, all the products that are in Kmart to, to enhance my physical appearance. And uh, what I realized was what I'm looking for, and this is where it was going, where it started to go, all this money that the world spends to influence me, why is it that I succumb to it? Why is it that I give into it in any way or form? It's because I'm looking for, first off, people approval, human approval. I am looking for other people to receive me in a way that uh, is, you know, positive. The other one would be personal approval, self-esteem. It's a big issue, especially in our culture, but it's not. It, it's pretty much in every culture. I was conversing with somebody a few weeks ago uh, that was very, very concerned about their appearance as to weight. And this person, my estimation, the weight problem that, 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 that the person had had nothing to do with being overweight, which was that, their perspective, but being underweight. How do we, you know, and, and the other, the inverse, somebody that is, is, is built with a frame that carries a little bit more weight than what the, the charts say you should have. And by the way, it's an interesting thing that all the charts have changed radically since the 50s to the 60s to the 70s. We keep getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Even there, somebody is telling us what is politically correct and, 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 and looks right. And uh, we all are looking for human, you know, other people approval and personal approval. And it's based on how we look, what we've accomplished, what we've accumulated. So, as an introduction in a sense, keep that in mind as we go back to, to the scripture. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. To love something with all your heart 
with all your energy, your strength, your soul, the depth of who you are, you would normally assume that you are going to pursue that relationship. Okay? I don't want to embarrass my wife, but I will, will say that, that after we met and started going out, I realized I really like being with her. I really like talking with her. Yeah, she's glad. She said, after 43 years of marriage, I hope so. Um, the, that, uh, you know, and she lived about 20 miles from where I lived. But to get to her house, I had to go over what's called the Cuesta Grade, which was a car killer on a day, if you went over on a daily basis. In fact, I wore out two cars. But I couldn't go over every day. I had to be at work. I had to be at school, various things. So I called. If I couldn't see her, I called her. And I'll tell you, it's interesting. Making a short, long-distance call, it was long-distance to call that 20 miles, anything out of my town was considered long-distance, and there was a charge. The long-distance charge was probably at least, I would say, nothing less than 10 times what you pay per minute for a long distance call today, back in those days. It was not unusual for me to have a $10 phone call in one night. But I was in love. <laughs> and I was seeking her. <laughs> I was pursuing her. Must have worked. We love something, we normally pursue it. I have friends who love bass fishing. And they will, I have one I'm thinking of right now that saved and saved and saved so that he wouldn't have to make payments on it so he could buy a bass boat. But he lives on the coast. And the bass lakes that he wants to go to are all inland, so he has to now had to buy the rig that would pull the bath boat. You know, I just he got very, you know, involved. But he pursued it because he loved doing that. I'm just trying to set the stage here. We pursue the things we like to do. We pursue the things we love to do. And even though we can't find resources or time for something over here, we manage to find the resources and the time for the things we want to. We manage to do that. We just sang a song, Matthew chapter 6. And it, you know, I'll go back to, to, to verse 24. Uh, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. In other words, if, you know, depending on where you direct yourself here, don't be anxious about your life as, a, as one who's pursuing God. Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and body and more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor weep nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Think about that. How much do we pursue that? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't exercise, take the vitamins, and be prudent about taking care of ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. But there we get obsessive about even that, as trying to figure out. There are people who believe that if they have freeze their heads in a cryogenic chamber, that somehow they may be able to be reattached at some future. That's not a joke. I think it's gross. I think it's stupid. I think it's sick. But it doesn't change the fact. And they have spent fortunes to guarantee that they stay frozen until that can happen. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor they spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, you know, the bottom line is, you, you hear me say it, one day at a time, one day closer, you know, uh, collectively we're one day closer to the Lord's return, you know, so it, it's, that's where we, we need to be able to focus. And so it says, seek first the kingdom of God. I want to put that with this idea of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So what are you going to do? You're going to pursue, you're going to seek your, the, the Lord your God, and he says, and and you know, to do it in such a way that you put him ahead of everything else you seek. Amen. <laughs> to, you know, and what are we seeking to be? You know, here it says, seek the, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the relationship with God. First seek your relationship with God, the salvation, to be at peace with God, to have Christ as your Savior. First seek this. And if you are seeking this, God says, I will take care of every need you have according to my purpose. Period. Now, the thing is, is we look around, and we see people that are Christians who have more, Christians who have less, Christians who have health, Christians who don't. And we're thinking, you know, how do we come up with a, 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 a mean here of some equity to God's purpose? There is no equity to God's purpose. God has a different call for each and every one of us at a different point in place and time, and it's whatever he sees needs to be accomplished and has seen since the foundation of the world in order to accomplish his purpose and create the perfect picture, if you will, of what will ultimately go into heaven, the new heavens, the new earth. He's got it all figured out. He's, that's where we say we rest in a sovereign God. We rest in, how many of us say, hey, we don't believe in, you know, somebody say good luck, and, and maybe we'll be polite and not say anything because the person's not a believer. But, so, you know, other times we'll say, well, I don't believe in luck. I, I, you know, I believe in God. 
what are we saying? We believe in God's sovereignty. There, you know, no coincidences. God is directing the path. So we seek to be a part of his kingdom, his righteousness, his salvation. We seek his gospel. And that was kind of what tied it to me for the, right now is the idea of we've been talking about God gave us the good news, the birth of Christ, the, the, the good news, Christ come into the world. The good news, Emmanuel, God is with us. And so we seek his righteousness, his salvation. We are seeking the gospel. And not just the gospel in the sense of getting it to the point where we're saved, but the, the gospel in the sense of resting in it and growing in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that there's a, I, I put it a battle for, our, for the mind, but it actually says a war for the mind going on. And uh, it's the worldview of the non-Christians versus the worldview of the Christians. That's where the war is going. And it's interesting, uh, God says this, this war is, is the war because of fallen man. I know we've, we, we've studied it, we've read it. Romans chapter 1, uh, starting with the 18th verse, talks about how the man will ultimately seek himself, seek God as he wants him to be, not as he is, and he will ultimately look to it and, and worship the, the creature rather than the creator. And literally, normally, that would mean ultimately worshiping yourself because you've decided that this is more than this. <laughs> and, and by, you know, so you're putting your understanding, your wisdom ahead of God's. Oh, this, this is God. Once you've done that, you've excused yourself from his wisdom. And yet he tells us in those same verses in, in Romans chapter 1 that God is visible. Even if you didn't have the written word, there would be evidence enough to tell you that there must be a creator. All you have to do is look at his creation. The non-Christian worldview basically wants to leave the God of creation out of the picture. In everything that they, they do, in determining uh, and figuring out uh, everything, setting the standards of life, uh, you know, and the result is what we talked about last week, futile minds. A mind that is futile is one that, that, that is going nowhere, Re doing the same things and, and, uh, but ignoring God and coming up with no answer ultimately. Now, in verse in opposite of that is us with a Christian worldview. Our Christian worldview begins with Christ, begins with the gospel. In fact, just before Romans 1, 8, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel. 
And I, uh, you know, I normally say the death, burial, and resurrection, but I, I, I realize that, you know, I'm, especially this season that we've just coming out of with Christmas, the birth, Emmanuel, God is with us, the coming into the, cre- the creation that he made, his death uh, within that framework of, of coming into the creation, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. That is the good news. A child is born, a son is given, Emmanuel, God is with us. John 1 uh, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians chapter 2 says that this Word that became flesh first emptied himself, set his majesty, if you will, his authority in that sense of, of, of every knee should bow, every tongue He set it aside and entered into this world, Emmanuel, God is with us, a child is born, becoming a man, a servant of men, even to the point of death on a cross. This is where Christians are to find their identity. This is who we are. When we said yes to Christ, this is what we were saying yes to. And in so doing, we were also saying with all my heart, my soul, my mind. God asks for it all. As we pursue the gospel, as we grow in the gospel, we realize that we are to measure everything that comes at us to give us influence, to influence the way we think. Everything that comes at us that that can give us any kind of guidance, direction, or influence, we are to weigh it. And we weigh it against the given word of God. We don't weigh it against a pastor's words. We don't weigh it against uh, uh, you know, some great you know, Christian musician's words. Uh, we don't weigh it against a, a great Christian writer's words. We weigh it against the word of God. Paul commended those who would do that, even as he was preaching the truth, He said, good for you. You're checking it out. We check to see what measures up. We're even given a standard to gauge it by. Beloved, John writing in in, in 1 John, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And when he said that, he meant in that framework everything that he has taught us about who Christ is. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which uh, which you heard is coming and now is in the world already. It's a very, I don't know how to even say it. It's a statement that is, is so encompassing as to how to, I mean, it says everything that, that has, a, anything that it teaches you, anything that, that sways your thinking has a spirit about it. We're not saying demonic spirits, although that can be a possibility, We're we're talking about just in general. What is what it wants to teach you? Where does it want to draw you? Does it want to draw you to God or 
away from God? Is it going to bring you closer to, to your relationship, strengthen your relationship, or is it possible that it's going to... People come up and say, I don't know what to do. I've got you know, two, three, four decisions ahead of me. They all seem the same, and I'll say... First off, any one of them seem to might draw you away from being a man of God. Anyway, it cause you to compromise. Well, yeah, that this possibility here, here, here. Okay, I said, well, eliminate those. Any of them draw you away from your family in a, such a way that you can't be the man of God that God wants you to be in your family. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's a, an order that God has given us. Weigh it out, and it starts with does it confess Christ? If it doesn't, now we have it's in a category that is worldly and it doesn't mean you can't do it but understand what its influence is and where it wants to take you so that it can't somebody says well if i really use that as the mission i won't watch any television i won't watch any movies and i thought you know you can carry this too far and you get legalistic about it the other way i remember when we were doing the uh 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 well, the Battle for the Mind series, the Strongholds, the Strongholds, Overcoming Strongholds series that Answers in Genesis put on. And the man teaching it says, this is what I do with my kids. We watch a movie. We already know the movie does not confess Jesus Christ, so we know we're watching a movie from the world. It therefore has a spirit other than that that would direct us towards Christ. So we even watch it with this challenge with my kids. See anything, hear anything, whoever says it first kind of thing and makes it in, turns it into a little bit of a contest that isn't leading you to God. That is, oh, well, we're watching Cinderella. Oh, look, there's a witch. That, God says this, you know, whatever. It's not that they can't, they shouldn't. It's know what it is. Have you weighed it? That's all. Have you weighed it? Are you weighing what the kids are learning in your schools? This type of thing is important. Paul agreed with this. He was really concerned in Galatians chapter 1 about another gospel. He says, I'm surprised at you guys that, that you're already giving in to something that is not the gospel, that it, it's tainted, it's, it's, it's sliding away from God instead of towards God. So he gave them a, a measuring thing. He says, if it does not confess what you have been taught in the way of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ, if it doesn't confess that, then it's another gospel, don't believe it. He says, even if an angel brings you another gospel, if it's different than this one, don't believe Even if I bring you another gospel and it's different from this, don't believe me. Two major religions in the world, Mormonism and, and Islam, claim an angel came and gave them another gospel. In fact, it's interesting that the Mormons' advertising for years used and the other, another gospel. They don't do it, you know, like they did before. Because people caught on. <laughs> yeah, they're right. Another gospel, that's not it. If it is of God and it points to the gospel, his kingdom, his righteousness, then seek it. Use it. Dwell on it. Comes back to Philippians chapter 4. Whatever is a good thing and points you to God, dwell on these things. Now, 
with that said, it's interesting because it was drawn to my attention in the last couple of weeks, well, a couple of weeks ago. I'll just put it the way it was. You have a lot of pat answers, don't you? This was from a Christian. And I thought, okay, first off, I, 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 I think I, I answered the, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> but I was, before I came to this point to share it with you, I said, okay, I need a definition for pat answer. You know, standing alone, you know, uh, in its own strength. An answer that stands alone in its own strength. You can have a lot of things that you use the word pat in a lot of ways. You can have a pat hand in, 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 in cards which means uh, basically you've been dealt a hand that, that you look at and you say, I'm not going to draw any cards, I'm not going to do anything else, this is a winning hand. You know? But the idea of, of having a pat answer is, is either it's either offered as a compliment or it's offered as, yeah, you always have a pat answer for everything, you know, with a sense of sarcasm. No offense, Patricia. <laughs> An example of this is, I know that God works all things to the good of the believer and to the kingdom of God. He works all things. I am confident that that is true. Personal experience? And my life's not without ups and downs. Observation? and his word. I mean, God has confirmed it all the way around for me. That I can make that as a pat answer, no matter what you're going through, I can say that with confidence. Romans 8, 28. God is going to work it out to good. How can my son doing this, 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 or this ultimately work out to good? because it might bring him to his knees, and he'll look up instead of down or straight ahead. I can't answer the question as to how right now. But I am confident. And I realize there's a lot of promises that God has made. Do I dwell on them? Do I ponder them? Do I meditate on them? Or do I just think about them when the crisis comes? <laughs> and I realize that... 4.8, dwell on the things that are good and positive. And, 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 and I thought, what a neat thing if I were to just take the promises of God. And there's no shortage of them. In fact, we have a little book out there that you know, we give away that says the promises of God. You know, uh, that, you know, the idea is, is that, you know, do I know them? And I realized, well, what it requires me to really to know them and to get them, not even to read a verse, but to put it in its context, Let's say I'm reading a little book of, of promises, and I open it up, and, and it says, you know, this particular verse. What I should do with that verse is, is still not take the author at his word. I want this to be my guide. Put it into the context it comes out of and let it speak to me. And I realized what I'm saying is we need to study the word of God. Pretty simple picture here. And we need to do it in a diligent way. And I realize that's a scriptural principle. <laughs> 2 Timothy 2.15, to present yourself a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 
that picture of to present yourself is one who studies diligently. That per, to, to, be, to know that you're going to present yourself is because I have studied diligently. So to study diligently, to present yourself a worker, a worker, a person who has labored, where? In the word of God. Therefore, I'm not ashamed. I rightly am handling the truth of God, the gospel. The gospel. The birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. His promises to all who believe come from that place come because of that action it's the same what we share every week at communion because of what christ has done the promises start you know 8 828 of romans all things work together go back to 881 there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus if you have this idea that as you've wrestled because i'm a christian but i'm wrestling with sin or i've sinned again or or something like that Take God at his word. If you will confess your sin, he is faithful. He will forgive you of his sin, and he restores you to all righteousness. And there is no condemnation. He's not rejudging you over and over again, putting you in hell, out of hell, in hell, out of hell. He puts you, you're saved, you're in that eternal relationship with you. I'm stumbling my way through it because I still live in this flesh and, I'm a, and I don't want to be a sinner. I fight the, 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 that idea, but I do. And he says, when you do that, just come to me. That way there is no condemnation. I don't live around kind of just with my head down, you know, disgusted with no hope. There is no condemnation. That's a promise. He calls us children of God in Romans 8. Joint heirs or fellow heirs with everything that he has. He promises. You come to me. You become a child of God. There's no condemnation. I'm going to work all things out to, to the good of the purpose of God's kingdom and, and you as well in the mix of that. And you will be an heir with me. I'm going to share my inheritance with you. And then ultimately, again, just resting in that assurance. I never grow tired of reading these verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? None of those. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, and I will add to that, things of the past. Because he says that in another place, our past is forgiven, taken away as far as the east is to the west. I feel comfortable that I can put that into a paraphrase right here nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all because he was born, Emmanuel, God is with us, a child is given, 
so that he would die like the picture shows us up there with the cross in the background there and the star, always part of the, 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 the picture of the birth, so that we could be right before God. As we seek God, he gives us Christ's righteousness, and we seek that, and he says, now pursue me. He says, I have pursued you, now pursue me. And I just want to ask you to join me this year in upping the, the ante a little bit, just pushing it a little bit further. It doesn't matter where you are in your walk with the Lord. There's a little bit more room always. <laughs> a lot more room always. I believe we will be pursuing our love and growth in Christ and God eternally because he's omniscient and we never will be omniscient. He's always going to be a step ahead. And he's granted us to join that pursuit to the point where there's a new heaven and a new earth. We'll be able to pursue that love of God and our relationship with each other as well, neighbor as well. I'm confident without the hindrance of this flesh and sin, I can only imagine. Ask the ushers to come to uh, pass the uh, communion out, hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share it together. Jealous for me, cause like a hurricane, I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me And oh, how he loves us so Oh, how he loves us How he loves us so He is jealous for me Love's like a hurricane I am a tree Bending beneath The weight of your wind and mercy And all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me And oh, how he loves us so Oh, how he loves us How he loves us so 
So he stood before his disciples at that last meal with them and, and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he asked us as often as we would eat this together that we would do it in remembrance of him. And with the cup, he said, this is my blood that's poured out for you. This is that picture of my blood poured out. Purchases the covenant. And then he came and, 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 and came from the other side of it with that promise. Drink it as often as you do until I come again. Drink it in remembrance of me until I come again. There's a time where we're going to share this together, but in a unique and new way called the marriage supper. And we will celebrate eternity with Christ. Let's do it in remembrance of him. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. We thank you for the reality that because of the cross, the door is open to your throne. You say we can come with a boldness in reference to mercy and grace. And we want to have that as something that we do, not just even daily, but often, Lord, that we recognize your grace, your mercy, and we celebrate in it. You love us. Oh, how you love us. You love me. Oh, how you love me. And not just loved, past tense, but what you did, but continue to love and, and, and eternally. 
Cause us to rest with confidence in the promises that, we, that we're aware of in your word and cause us to grow in strength and understanding of those that, that will give us strength and, and, and comfort in times of need as well as times of celebration. And again, we come to say we worship you, the God of all creation, our Savior. In Jesus' name.